Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Tyler Stratford. He is cannabis consultant at Stratford Cannabis Consulting. We're going to talk to him about the work that he's been doing in cannabis, the insights he's had, working with lots of different companies and really kind of seeing this market from different perspectives. And we're going to talk about kind of where we are in this market and where we are in terms of development, where we are in terms of the legal market, the illicit market, and really kind of what companies can be doing, what cannabis companies, cannabis leaders you know, can be doing, should be doing to really grow the businesses, grow the industry so we can have a successful, positive, you know, beneficial cannabis industry for, you know, for society and, and wellness and you know, lots of interesting uh, kind of things going on in the cannabis world right there right now with new states coming on. You know, everyone's talking about legalization and, and federal policy, which we'll see how that plays out. But you know, I think it's important to really kind of understand how these things are going to affect the industry and, and what might be happening. So with that, Tyler, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Bruce. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, pleasure to have you on. So before we kind of get into all the things you're doing today and, and what's going on in the world of cannabis, give us the backstory. How did you get involved in cannabis? What got you started? Give us the journey that you've been on. 
Absolutely. And thanks for asking. So it's very interesting. And I come from a a kind of crazy different amount of perspectives that I kind of bring to the table here. But uh, I was actually in the army and my parents were operating like a small fix and flip houses company. And when that market crashed in 2009, that was the same year that Colorado legalized medical cannabis and provided real structure around it with dispensaries and, and licenses for vertical integration and, you know, kind of even wholesale structure. So that's what they got into. I had known they had partaken of cannabis from a young age, so it was pretty pretty normalized for me. You know, they were just normal adults. And uh, anyway, yeah, I was, uh, I was in the army at that time. And when I got out in 2011, I kind of started from the bottom, working my way up and really just kind of holding every position that they needed help with, which in the beginning was kind of everything, you know. So I I got the chance to hold a lot of different perspectives there from working my way up to manager of our vegetative cultivation through and then becoming our director of compliance, which for a small vertical company with one license in Boulder, Colorado is not uh, a grand position, but the title was nice. Um, (laughs) I got a lot of perspective there, you know, and I helped a couple other companies locally just transition from medical to dual medical recreational cannabis and so that that was really another way for me to cut my teeth as the regulations changed in Colorado and then uh, I w- and then I actually went to work for MJ Freeway which is now known as Akerna and I was really brought operational perspective to them so I I was kind of in charge of their um, implementation consulting team so we would go on site or virtually train people up on every part of the software from every part of the vertical that you can think of and they were pretty saturated in the market so through them I opened up you know a few hundred operations and the first dispensaries in some states that was a lot of fun and worked with some brilliant MSOs and got to open some of their first stores um, and and so after that I uh, I kind of I left and, and went to a true consulting firm not tied to any software or anything else but and they are one of the industry leading consulting firms Canna Advisors. Yep. Full transparency that's also my parents when they sold their their Boulder Time Care license, you know, they uh, we kind of parted ways professionally and I went and got a lot of experience that they didn't have. So I, I brought that yeah. Canna Advisors really helped them through a lot of what they do which was getting applications in and winning licenses in emerging markets, more Mm -hmm. on the business planning side of things. And I brought that operational perspective to them doing floor plans, security overlays, security procedures, dispensary SOPs, all of the things. And uh, got a lot of exposure through that, especially in the new markets. And just was saturated with reading regulations and with that perspective really, you know, has given me some things I'm happy about and some things I'm, I'm pretty disappointed in so far in the cannabis industry. But my, my most recent project was uh, a dispensary and delivery service in South Lake Tahoe in the East Oakland area called Cannablue. Go check them out. They're awesome. They're, they're up there in South Lake Tahoe, and they also have uh, East Oakland operations for delivery. Awesome. I'm curious what you learned in the early days, you know, work coming and working for, you know, your parents, you know, company, like what, 
what was it about actually, you know, touching the plant and, you know, lear- learning kind of from the ground, you know, both literally and figuratively, you know, about the plant and about the business? Like, what were your takeaways having that experience? Oh, man, that really, it was, it was um, an industry that had such a capacity to do good. I saw it heal family members. Obviously, everybody's got a real personal story and connection, whatever yeah. it is, to cannabis. But I also saw a community around it. You know, I actually had never partaken of cannabis until I was working in the industry. You know, 420 exactly. Yeah. I was just, I was like, hey, my mom grew it. I, I could probably try Poetic. It. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the perspective was, especially in Boulder, which was a really highly regulated area in Colorado, their local laws were, were really strict. From cultivation have to be having to be zoned manufacturing, which just had higher standards than really a, a grow facility needed to have. Um, mm-hmm. And I saw that kind of coming out of the initial phases of it, especially in a place like Boulder and like a, a lot of other municipalities in the states that have just kind of ridiculous regulations because they were afraid of what the business would mean for their township or county. Like, I'm curious what kind of regulations you saw that you felt were really not practical or not not really about cannabis, but more about the concern or the industry. Yeah, everything from needing, and I don't necessarily disagree with needing certain things. I, I disagree with how cost prohibitive they are to a lot of people trying to get into the industry. So at that time, certain standards for, like I said, the manufacturing status of a cultivation facility, which did not need to be that high, like indoor sprinkler systems and high levels of fire protectiveness that we just didn't quite need. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that it also cost us more per square footage to get certifications and things like that. Even our our plumbing and electrical had to be to a different standard. So it it was mostly cost prohibitive and time prohibitive, which, you know, time is money. So um, the longer we had to build out our cultivation, it kept us from actually running the operation. So that and then really just the regulatory hurdles uh, of of something being treated with such just honestly fear and to their credit it's still technically a schedule one substance so um understand mm-hmm. they're protecting themselves but therein lies the problem yeah the second thing would be packaging really it's uh the astm standards for child proofing are are great in that i think it should be child proof but yeah. there's no real infrastructure behind recycling that type of polypropylene plastic so I'm sure everybody has seen a bunch of cannabis containers just around and not knowing what to do with yep. Or you have to go the more expensive route and go with glass or the less, I'll say, glamorous route of like a cellophane bag, which all have their issues. But, you know, the regulations kind of started to determine this, which is, uh, again, cost prohibitive to some companies. If the whole market has these really high cost packaging materials and really hard standards to meet, then... Uh, it's really hard to get in the door. Yeah. And as you got onto the consulting side, so you took all this knowledge from, you know, actually working with the business, you know, hands-on inside the company. Like how, how did you transfer that to the consulting kind of model? And, and how did you help companies, you know, wh- I guess, what did you help them with and how did you help them? Yeah, I, I really think uh, being a, a good consultant is about having the, the trust of your clients. And in a lot of ways, I had been in their, their shoes multiple times mm-hmm. over. And so not only that, but a lot of them came into the field with 
with just a certain amount of knowledge of cannabis and maybe only reading their state's regulations. So I started with educating. So I really took our clients and I was able to educate them so they could make informed decisions about things they would put in their applications like green initiatives, diversity, equity, inclusion policies, community action plans, because a consultant can only make so many decisions for you and they just needed to be brought up to speed. That was that was kind of the first thing. And then the second thing is through that, I really brought this kind of, I want to say security blanket in that they knew I had been in their shoes a lot. Mm-hmm. And Canada Advisors, having been through so many application processes and with their staff yeah. being there a long time, they had really been the experts in that field as well. So our forces kind of combined to help them do everything from business planning to financial modeling. We had like a um, PhD student in, in economics who was doing our financial modeling and lawyers throughout our staff and then the other people who were just operational experts like myself and you know my parents who ran the company yep. floor plans security overlays you know really anything that these uh, applications called for from things like Florida which was hundreds of pages long because they said hey throw the book at us and um, you know to somewhere smaller like a South Lake Tahoe that really wasn't it didn't ask a lot in the application but Yeah, you know, we'd help them through that process. And then once, you know, the waiting period was over to see whether they got their license or not, I would kind of lead the charge in helping them get up and running through their build out and certificate of operation. And then on the cultivation side, usually through the first first or second harvest. And then at the dispensary, I'd be close, real close with them for a couple of weeks to three weeks and then, you know, check in with them on a monthly basis. Yeah. And I guess, what did you learn about sort of consulting versus being hands-on? I mean, what, what were, I guess, some of the differences in how you had to approach things as a consultant or, you know, when you're in the kind of consultant seat rather than the driver's seat of a business? Yeah. Um, when you've been in, the, that's a great question, actually. When when you've been in the driver's seat before, you you realize that kind of everything depends on you. You really understand that that if you don't do it, it just doesn't get done. If you don't make the decision, <laughs> yeah, exactly, no one else is there to do it. Yeah, and if you don't make a decision, yeah. just no decision gets made. Things fall by the wayside. And yeah. sometimes when people are just applying for a license, they they don't understand that. Hey. Everything right now depends on you getting this license and getting X done. And when they get the license, they don't realize that, hey, it's you and maybe three or four other people. Yes, you're an owner, but you're also an employee. You need to be wearing all the hats mm-hmm. of the employees that you don't have employed yet and, and get this thing up and running. So I've seen multiple businesses not necessarily fail, but people who got out a lot sooner than they had to because they didn't kind of take it seriously at the beginning. And then most of the yeah. value really was just in the license itself. So yeah. that and then, you know, really you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't bring to the table true cannabis knowledge and intent to do good in the industry, and by that I mean focusing on the fact that, yes, you can't, we kind of have competitors, but we more have collaborators, you know, our dispensary mm-hmm. down the street, their problem today is going to be our problem tomorrow. And we need to have a united front to make sure this industry is built the right way. And people who don't have mm-hmm. those interests often get isolated and left out of important conversations or regulations because they're worried about just number one. Yeah. So yeah, those are, those are probably the two, the two biggest things. And then you know, from there, it just kind of spirals downward if you don't focus on, on those two big things. 
We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Yeah. Like a lot of businesses and a lot of startup stuff, you just, you have the added complexity of, you know, the cannabis, kind of the cannabis environment, the regulatory structure, you know, sort of the battling various forces, whether it's tax issues, banking issues, uh, you know, regulation issues. Yeah. Yeah. We play with live ammo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What, um, I guess, what are the big things that you see in the industry right now? Like you've been doing this for a while. You've, you've worked with several companies. You kind of see this market develop. What is working from your point of view in terms of the cannabis industry and what is not working from your point of view? Great question. I would say uh, one of the biggest things right now, I'll say in, in the current biggest cannabis market to date, which is where I am in California, is overregulation, overtaxation, and mm-hmm. to the tune of eighths at some places, um, over $100 out the door, whether that be because of local and extra an additional local tax that's something like a tax on gross not net profits or net sales rather and just a lot of the regulations that don't make sense that are really cutting our operators off of the knees and also making them have to jack up their prices just to make their margins yeah. i know that's happened in a lot of markets i'll say another big one is really just I'll touch on the regulatory side of this because really I, th- I think there is a lot of issues, but um, we could talk about them for hours. But the, the, real, the real follow through of the efforts of the whole cannabis industry in the aspect of diversity, equity and inclusion, yeah. you know, for people who have been historically disadvantaged or um, are victims of the failed war on drugs. And some people are exploiting the kind of current loopholes in some of the laws. Some mm-hmm. people are not getting an opportunity to not even just have a seat at the table, but you know, own the table, control the conversation for once. And that's really, in my mind, on the regulatory side, because they don't just need a discount in application fees. It's not just mm-hmm. about the cost. They need like in, in Michigan, you can actually apply, and if you qualify enough, you can get 75% off of your application fees, which is no joke. It's a, it's a significant amount, but then what? You know, there, there needs yeah. to be a more holistic approach where the businesses are supported with much more than just not having to spend money on ridiculous licensing fees. So yeah, whether that be career counseling and expungement, whether that be actual stewardship of their business, whether that be resources to vendors that actually give them an, an ongoing benefit or some kind of subsidized grants for those companies that aren't just on application fees, but meant for other things. Or, no. you know, hopefully if the banking situation gets changed, not at <clears> least <throat> help yeah. them find some kind of local credit union who won't charge them an arm and a leg just to keep their money there. So that would be probably the, the biggest and, and number one thing. But um, I'd say a big underlying thing that actually Canada is doing a better job of, in my opinion, than, than anywhere in the United States other than maybe Maine, is realizing that the recreational market and even the medical market in the states that only have that is always going to compete with the illicit market. So, yeah. so if they don't pay attention to not just what their prices are, but what they're forcing the prices to be on, on the on the sales side of things because of their taxes or because of excise or whatever it is, yeah. then that illicit market's always going to be there. And I forget if it was 2018, but 
or a 2019, but California still produces something like seven times the amount of cannabis they consume. So the illicit, on a legal level, at least. So the illicit market is is definitely alive and well, at least in the biggest market, and I'm sure it is in most other places too. Yeah, I'm curious what you feel. Like, what do you think the market premium is that people are willing to pay for legal weed? Right. Like, if you look at like just as a percent increase off the illicit market. Like, or, you know, do you have a sense of like, what, like, <laughs> yeah, what, what is the value of that? Right. Cause that's always the question, right? Like, do I, do I, you know, go to the dispensary, you know, and, and pay the legal weed prices or do I, you know, do I call, you know, Steve who can show up at my door and give it to me for X percent less? I mean, yes, it's not, it may not be tested. Maybe, you know, I'm not sure exactly where it's coming from. Right. Like, but like, what do you think the market delta is on, the, pre- the premium people are willing to pay for for legal tested you know uh, documented weed um, I would say it's under double <laughs> yeah okay so then the people aren't going to pay twice as much no they're just not if on a general basis I honestly I know there are shops that are selling eights over a hundred dollars and they're getting it yeah and I know that even shops are selling them for not a not too much less than that and they're still getting it but that's not enough to choke out the illicit market and gosh you know i'd say i'd say probably we have to put it in real terms i'd say probably for like an eighth um on the illicit market and this is just a wild guess it and this is just a wild guess yeah 30 35 dollars they might be more confident going to a dispensary and and paying you know 45 but really people People are more interested yeah. in THC content and you, unfortunately, just THC content. But you can't yeah. really show that with an illicit market, you know, cultivator. So, yeah, you'd have to you'd have to try it, know its effect and feel comfortable. So, yeah, I think that's probably right. Like 20 to 30 percent, maybe, you know, as being kind of the premium. And oddly enough, 30 percent is about the average tax you would pay in California. Yeah. So, Maybe that's telling right there, but um. well, I think that's. But I think that's the way. I mean, I, I would as I've kind of spoken to folks that are kind of looking at the market dynamics and kind of figuring out how to really kind of shift the the um, you know the illicit market into the uh, legal market is you know you got to figure that out right because it's going to be market demand right if, if people are not willing to pay a thirty percent premium you're never going to convert them over to the legal market, right? If they are, or, or if it's 25, then you got to figure out how do I get taxes and you know, the overhead and things like that such that the price point right, of this weed is you know, within that window of I'm willing to pay the premium for you know, a well-packaged, tested, documented, legal, legal weed. And I think that's a lot of what these states are struggling with. Like the states that have high tax rates, you know, they're just not seeing... They're not seeing the conversion as much. I mean, they're seeing growth, right? Because you're getting people into the weed industry, you know, or people into using weed, but they're just not converting the illicit market. Exactly. And I think, honestly, the gap is education. Yeah. Truthfully, you know, why, why is this cannabis better than that cannabis? And, and we even can divert it down even a little bit more into, you know, the flower side of the illicit market is the strongest because you're just not going to find people who make, capsules and transdermal patches on the illicit market. It's just that's just not really going to happen. So I think as product differentiation spreads for cannabis and there's a lot more product types like 
like t- uh, water-soluble THC powder and the drinks that are now mm-hmm. really delicious and actually focused on proper dosage and things like that, that people will pay more of that premium because you really can't get a lot of those things on the illicit market. And uh, people have really started to embrace as operators the side of educating the customer as part of their customer experience or customer journey from the time they walk in because the more educated you are generally you will buy a higher priced product because the quality is better Mm -hmm. and much like we don't have a lot of moonshiners um, nowadays i imagine that (laughs) we won't have a, a ton of illicit growers down the road but you know that the same can be said for you know people who grow tomatoes at their house. How many people do that? And uh, cannabis yeah. can be compared to that in a lot of ways too. So well, we'll see. But uh, I think that illicit market competition and acknowledging that is is a big uh, big hole that the regulators need to be aware of. Yeah. And do you see states? I mean, just as we're kind of thinking through the the different states and how they set things up, and you mentioned Maine. What other states do you feel are either sort of doing it right or doing interesting things or you know, that are notable in terms of how they're kind of setting up, executing, you know, managing their, their cannabis policies and their cannabis markets? I'll highlight Colorado for sure. They, yeah. especially with Jared Polis uh, as governor, they've initiated some new and further reaching diversity, equity, and inclusion plans. They've also listened to the, the voters and allowed them to start doing delivery which is a new thing in Colorado. A lot of people think there's delivery there already, but... <laughs> yeah, not legal delivery. <laughs> they're, yeah, right. They're a little behind the times, but the first one um, kind of just announced its opening in the last few weeks. And uh, they also, I feel like in their regulatory structure, they always allow the local municipalities to add to regulations, but not take away from. So there are some counties and cities that don't want delivery, and so be it. They voted against it, and the people mm-hmm. can't own a delivery there. And honestly, I think that that's a good way of, of handling it. I also think that uh, Michigan is doing a pretty good job, you know, coming from a really probably the second or third, I forget, largest medical program. They actually had twice the infrastructure that Colorado did before they went legal um, yeah. as far as number of patients and dispensaries and product being sold and, and moved. So I think they're doing a really good job. They're also allowing a lot of local municipalities to opt in or opt out to certain regulations, um, really add to them. Um, in that way. So some some have not allowed dispensaries, but allowed the manufacturing and cultivation side of it, which is interesting as well, because if the county or city is already predisposed to being a manufacturing or warehousing district, then it, it also fits. So it's kind of a, a really good fit, I think, for that kind of regulatory structure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else that's doing anything that's, that you've seen that's been uh, interesting? You know, Illinois has taken some stabs at really trying to implement some diversity, equity, inclusion into their licensing process and, and their market's growing. I would say really my favorite markets right now are the ones that aren't just completely overtaken by giant MSOs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like Pennsylvania is one of those markets for sure. Um, Illinois is becoming one of them if they're not mostly already. Yeah. And, And really it is, again, that regulatory structure that keeps them from just acquiring a certain number of licenses sometimes is the restriction or still needing to have local ownership instead of an out-of-state company like Cresco or GTI or Columbia Care or somebody like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Maine, Maine for sure. 
they've just really built their structure very slow. There's a lot of mom and pop shops. They allowed home grow very early and they they haven't been too strict on their structure. You know, they still they still have a high level for testing, which I still agree with, but uh, their prices have settled out there too, uh, um, as far as I know. You know. I can only look on the online menus and and yeah. read Reddit so much. But yeah, and what do you think are the big? Uh, um, you know, everyone's talking about kind of federal legalization and stuff. But what what are the big things that you think are going to happen on the federal level, or that you're kind of watching, or you think companies need to be kind of paying attention to on the federal level as this market develops and as things play out? Yeah, a great question. I'm excited about things like the Safe Banking Act. If something mm-hmm. like that passes and we just kind of get a foot in the door of being able to act like other businesses in this country, then that'll really help the industry out. So stuff like that excites me. I don't want to comment too much on it if I think it'll happen <laughs> in, in this administration. When it will happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. But um, I think any any step forward like that is, is a good step. Um, and then really just a, a national decriminalization a national expungement would be the next most exciting thing to me and because right now there are people serving life sentences in prison for an ounce of cannabis and that is yeah you know obviously terrible so yeah. those are the things i'm excited about but i, I think on a, on a local level there's there's some interest, interesting states that that are going to help turn the tide you know states that were maybe even violently opposed to cannabis that are seeing mm-hmm. it's and uh, the, I think nationally that'll help turn the tide too because hopefully if those people are representing their districts appropriately then they're gonna you know see how much of a benefit cannabis is I want to yeah. point out Kentucky but I won't too much Mitch McConnell hasn't <laughs> done much for the cannabis industry yet his state does a lot for it so it's, it's kind of interesting yeah, yeah. interesting Tyler, it's been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? You know, right now is just to hit me up via email. Uh, and that would be Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R, at strat, S-T-R-A-T, C-C.com. That's stratfordcannabisconsulting.com. Great. I'll make sure that uh, that link uh, or the email is in the show notes so people can get that and, and reach out to you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Bruce, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.